invite you to pull out your note outline. We're continuing our series on kingdom parables. What's it mean to live under the rule and reign of the king? Each of these five messages, this is number four. Next week we'll complete the series. Have to do with what is it like to live in relationship with the king? What's that look like? Not only now, but during the millennium and ultimately in heaven, what's it look like to, to live under the rule and reign of the king? What's interesting is that the story this morning that you may be familiar with, I'd like to read it for us, it's actually two parables that are kind of put back to back as bookends. Jesus is responding to the question that Peter asks here in Matthew chapter 18. Follow along. I'll begin reading at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me up to seven times? reason he uses that number, seven is considered the perfect number, saying certainly that would be enough. That's the number of perfection. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but what? Now, Jesus is saying an, in, an in, in, immeasurable amount. Some say seven times seven, sometimes 70 times seven. What he's saying, he is not giving a specific number. It's a play on words. It's a kind of a, uh, an Arabic idiom that he's saying, you use the word seven. No, I'm just saying multiples of seven. Therefore, watch, it's connected to this question. The kingdom of heaven is like, and we've seen that simile appear before, haven't we? It's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him how many talents? 10,000 talents. It means nothing to you and me in the days of inflation. How much of that would be U.S. currency? $20 million. Big. $20 million. Was brought to him since he was not able to pay the master, that's the king, ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Lots of luck on that. Do your assets equal $20 million? The servant fell on his knees before him. Watch the quote. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Wow, it's quite a statement. The servant's master took pity on him, underlying these phrases, canceled the debt and let him go. Two separate actions I'll be unpacking in a moment. Those are two different issues. Canceled the debt and let him go. Watch the text carefully. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. What would that be equivalent to? Answer, twenty dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him, which, by the way, under Hebrew law was legal. You could legally choke a person if they owed you money. I don't think that's legal today. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Give me your 20 bucks. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, compare verse 29 to verse 26. Exact same wording. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. 
but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. How do you do that? If you're in prison, how do you pay off the debt? You're not working. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything. That would be the king that had to happen. Then the king calls in servant number one and said, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt, 20 million of yours, because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as, ha- as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be what? Tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless each of you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, as we read that, we think, what's, what, man, what's going on here? Let me help you with that. We've got parable number one. This is the first exchange between the king and servant number one. Parable number two is the exchange between servant number one and servant number two. You with me? Servant number, or parable number one deals with vertical forgiveness. It's a picture of vertical forgiveness, and I'll be drilling down on that more in just a second. Parable number two has to do not with vertical forgiveness, but with horizontal forgiveness. See? Because unless, unless you've experienced this, you will be unable to practice this. Unless you understand the implications of vertical forgiveness, you will have an incapacity to apply the truths of horizontal forgiveness. Did you hear what I just said? You're going to need to wrap your arms around these truths as I continue walking through this. Now, let me help you with parable number one. Here's the first principle. The man owed a debt that had to be paid. Notice carefully how I phrase this. Now, you need to understand, servant number one, this isn't some guy walking around in a white bathrobe with a towel over his, like some kind of, you know, slave. This would be the governor of a province, a high-ranking official who through negligence, embezzlement, um, misappropriation of funds, we don't know, but he's now on the hook for $20 million. And it wasn't a matter of payment or no payment. It has to be paid. Incidentally, in this story, who pays the debt? The king does. You with me? Let me put you into a time machine, and we're going to slip back into time, and now we're at the, at, at, in biblical days when this was occurring. And we're standing there, and somebody is saying to you as you're standing in the back alley outside the palace, have you heard what's happened? No, oh, what's happened? King's in hock for $20 million. Well, no. Do you look, see the U-Haul? U-Haul's backed up at the palace. Remember all the golden shields in the great hall? They're coming down. All the silver chalices and silverware and, and all, the, all the cross swords when you walk into the palace, they're off the wall. Yeah, he, he's having to sell them for pennies on the dollar because he's got a $20 million debt he's got to pay. 
That's the picture. He owes a debt that has to be paid. Secondly, we could advance the slide, please. And the man could not pay for the debt himself, obviously. Jesus purposely uses this story. This one would be an exorbitant amount of money. He can't even keep interest on the debt. It's inc- I mean, basically, the, the king says it's got to be paid, and he goes, look, I got empty pockets, dude. There's no way, Jack, I'm paying this back. He says, I will pay you back everything. And the king could have smiled and said, lots of luck with that. That's not going to happen. Isn't it interesting? The man thought he could pay it back, much like we do. Because you and I have this debt that has to be paid. What do we call that debt? Sin. And erroneously, in the way that our pea brain works, I think I can pay for that myself. Well, that's not going to happen. See? By the way, did you know that there's two different ways that sin can be paid for? Two different ways that sin can be paid for. Way number one is that the king can pay the debt for us. Way number two is what? You pay the debt. The only problem with option number two is that it will take you all eternity in hell to pay for it. You see, most people will agree with the premise that they are sinners. Most people will agree with that. You can take the most pagan person in the world, they will agree that they're a sinner. What they don't understand is how bad off they are. I remember I I was in my office once, and this is the only time it's ever happened in my entire ministry. I said, do you understand that you're a sinner? And this lady says to me, I'm not. Really? You have never sinned? No. Huh. Well, I I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this was your first. This was your first. And the Bible says, he who is guilty of one point of the law is guilty of it all, see. The man could not pay for the debt himself, principle number three. Here we go. The master loosed him from the punishment and released him from the debt. Remember I said earlier, those are two distinct actions that are different from each other. You can do one without the other. Stay with me. The king could have said, I'll tell you what, um, you don't have to pay back the money. I will loose you from the, or free you from the debt, but I get to beat the tar out of you. Or he could have said, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to beat the living stuffings out of you, but you still got to pay back the money. In this situation, the king does both. He said, I will not only let you off the hook regarding the debt, I'm not going to punish you. Interesting. The word used for free or release, jot this down, is the Greek word apoluo. Jot it in your margin, pretend like you know Greek. Apoluo, A-P-O-L-U-O, apoluo. It means to free or release. 
your margin, jot down Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, Pilate looks at the crowd and says, who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus? Who do you want me to apoluo, same word. Who do you want me to let go? Interesting that Jesus uses the very same word in this particular parable. The master loosed him from the punishment and freed him from the debt. And again, this isn't rocket science, boys and girls, because what this is describing, parable number one, is this vertical forgiveness, because you and I have this debt of sin that has to be paid. I cannot pay for it myself, but somebody's got to pay for it. And Jesus is saying, the king is willing to pay for the debt. And by doing that, uh, not only is the debt gone, I'm freed from the debt, I don't have to take the punishment. And this is just a beautiful picture, isn't it? You see, unless I understand parable number one, I'm never going to be able to, to apply parable number two. Unless I get this thing well done... This thing is this, this is not going to happen. And what we see in parable number two is the incredible bondage that occurs, watch this, the incredible bondage that occurs when we refuse to forgive other people. There's reasons that you and I don't do that. And as a result, some rather remarkable things happen. What I need to be careful of is, look, People will hurt you. People will wound you. People will offend you. The issue wasn't whether servant number one had an issue with servant number two. He did owe him $20. Servant number two owes servant number one. That's not the issue. And the issue wasn't whether he was in his legal right to choke. It is not a legal issue. The issue is, is it appropriate in view of how you have been treated? Is it appropriate for you to respond in this way? I mean, right now there's people on my mental dartboard. The issue becomes, in, in light of how I have been treated because of my sins, what gives me the right to be judge, jury, and executioner for someone who has now offended me. And so the issue isn't whether the person has hurt you or not. I'm sure he has. I'm sure she has hurt and offended you. Some of you got family members that have hurt you, who have offended you, who keep doing that stuff. I'm not saying, no big deal. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. It is a big deal. My response needs to be, am I willing to let this thing go? Yeah, but Pastor Joel, if I, if I let them off the hook, then what? Well, they're still on God's hook. And as somebody once told me, God's got a bigger hook. See? You see, the position I need to take isn't, oh, I'll just, I'll just gloss that over. No, I need to come to grips with the fact this person's hurt me and wounded me or hurt Judy or our family, 
But am I willing to step back and say, you know what? I'm going to let the Lord deal with this. It's God's problem. It says, and I think First, first Peter chapter 2, speaking of Jesus, when reviled, he did not revile back. When insulted, he did not insult back. But instead, watch this, he entrusted himself to him who judges all things rightly. The proper posture is to entrust myself in this situation to him who judges all things rightly. Because you're going to see in just a second, there will be tremendous fallout in your life if you say, you know what, I'm going to hang on to this thing. Let's begin walking through that. This is parable number two. First point. Because of the man's unforgiving attitude, periodic installments would now be paid by him. Basically, the king says to servant number one, who was kind of the knucklehead, you know what? For the rest of your life, there will be bill collectors at your door. Watch this. You will now pay periodic installments on that debt I had canceled for you because of your attitude. What's the application for you and me? When I refuse to forgive, periodic installments will be exacted of me. What that means is, as one person said, if you decide to harbor bitterness, your stomach keeps score. You won't be able to sleep at night. You're going to toss and turn. It's going to eat you up. They have been able to go back and they have traced such things as heart disease, cancer, all different kinds of diseases directly to bitterness and resentment. What they've discovered is that when you choose to not forgive, it's like one of those 24-hour cold capsules. Poison is released into your system, literally. Poison is continually released into your system. You are going to become one miserable person. How many of you recognize the name Lee Iacocca? Wow, lots of people. Lee Iacocca, he was the brainchild behind, this will bring back memories, behind the Ford Mustang. Some of us remember when the Mustang came out. What was it, Greg? 1963 and a half. Ford Mustang comes out. Lee Iacocca basically designed the Ford Mustang. Eventually, he leaves Ford Motor Company, and he goes to what automobile company? Goes to Chrysler. He wrote uh, an autobiography entitled Iacocca. It's an interesting read. I'm not even sure if he's still living now or not. Somebody's going to have to Google that while I'm preaching. In the forward of the book, and by the way, what happens is that he has this tremendous falling out between himself and Henry Ford II, literally, Henry Ford II, who owned the company. And as a result, he was fired from Ford and goes to Chrysler. In the forward of the book, this is the quote. And I'll need to read it. I probably ought to be referring to my notes from time to time. 
They, quote, they were the innocent victims of the despot whose name was on that building. He's referring to his children. They were the innocent victims of the despot whose name was on that building. It's like the lioness and her cubs. If the hunter knows what's best for him, he will leave the little ones alone. Henry Ford hurt my kids, and for that reason, I will never forgive him. Unquote. Henry Ford hurt my kids, and for that reason, I will never forgive him. You see, you're sitting here this morning, and there's some issues that, have, that are longstanding. They've never been resolved. Stuff that's gone on in your family, with one of your kids, with a parent, with a brother, with a sister, with a brother-in-law, with a neighbor, somebody at your church. And it gets really quiet. And whenever it's brought up, you just begin to seethe. And you get so angry. I think what the Lord is saying to you this morning is, you got to let this thing go. And Peter goes, how many times? I can kind of do it seven. What does Jesus say? Seventy times seven. Because I think I've used this illustration before. Here's, here's the deal that I'll, this is, this is what I find myself getting entrapped in. I'll say, okay, I am going to take this issue with this person and I'm going to release it and I'm going to let it go. But doggone it, I can't believe it made me so mad when they did that. I'm going to let it go. And I, then just last weekend, she says this again to me. I keep picking it up, don't, don't you? I keep picking it. You got to let it go. I keep picking How many times do you have to do that? Seventy times seven. And I don't believe that Jesus is saying for 70 times seven different offenses. Watch this. Sometimes it's the same stinking offense 70 times 7. That's the issue. Because if I don't do that, that's what you're going to face. See? That's what you're going to face. Principle number two. Because of the man's unforgiving attitude, he was unable to experience the marvelous release that had been extended to him. Isn't that interesting? Servant number one, I am going to wipe the record clean of $20 million. You're off the hook, buddy. I'm absorbing. I'm paying for that. You think servant number one would have said, this is my lucky day. I tell you what, kind of like Scrooge in, you know, in a Christmas care. Yeah, I'm just going to go around and now it's going to be Merry Christmas for everybody. No, I'm just going to give, you know, like Zacchaeus, half of what I owe, I'm going to pay, I mean, of what I owe, I'm going to pay people back four times if I've ever cheated him. I mean, you would have thought that this guy would have gone nuts. Isn't it interesting? Because he insisted on demanding repayment for this, for servant number two, he's now in prison. He's now unable to experience the release that had been given to him. This happens to a lot of Christian people. 
Watch this. If you insist on being bitter and resentful, guess who's put in prison? You are. And it's the people who deal as Christians, and you're looking at one of them, that I have a hard time getting around my arms around this idea of grace and God's forgiveness of me. You want to know why you struggle with that? Because you don't forgive other people. If you don't forgive other people, you are not going to be able to walk in the freedom of forgiveness as a believer. And I tell you what, there's a ton of Christians walking around feeling shame and guilt, and they can't forgive themselves or accept God's forgiveness. One of the reasons is right here. Because they're insisting on exacting repayment from this situation or this person right here. And finally, the last principle, and I tell you what, when I first discovered this, Dr. Jack Hayford, Church on the Way, Foursquare Church out of Van Nuys, California, shared this principle. This is not mine, but I'm going to pretend like it's mine. This is what he said. Because of the man's unforgiving attitude, watch, bondage continued to occur in the other servant's life. Let me help you with that. Servant number one is forgiven by the king. 20 million bucks. Hooray. Servant number one turns around and says to servant number two, chokes him, pay me back the $20. I can't pay back. Pay me back the $20. I can't pay. Okay, you know what? Then I'm going to throw you in prison. Boom. Servant number two is in prison. The people in the royal court catch wind of this thing and go to the king and say, you never guessed what this knucklehead just did. So servant number one's dragged before the king again. Wait a minute. What's the deal, dude? Well, when it, it's irrelevant. After what I did for you, you would put him in prison? You know what, Jack? I'm going to toss you in the, in the pokey. So servant number one is now in prison. Here's my question. Where's servant number two? He's still in prison. Well, wouldn't the king release him? No, he had no jurisdiction over that relationship. Servant number two is still in prison. That's the point I'm trying to make, or that Jack Hayford made. This is 1985 when I heard this message concerning this principle. Servant number two is still in prison. And I thought, wait a minute. When you refuse to forgive, it not only affects you, periodic installments will be exacted of your life, it will not only limit your ability to walk in the freedom of forgiveness Jesus has offered, but you want to know something? It's going to affect this guy's life. Wait a minute. How's that work? Let me give you two illustrations of how this works in my own life. Judy and I, when we were first married, moved to a place called Ossian, Indiana, just south of the Fort Wayne Airport. There's some people in here who know we're Ossian. There's some people in here who helped me move from that, from that home. We had a neighbor. I'm not going to give you his name for obvious reasons. This will be on the Internet. But there was, we had a neighbor who was not a particularly pleasant guy. He was an older guy, kind of crotchety and moody and angry and and so I'm thinking I'm living next door to this guy. I will go over every once in a while and just chit-chat with him. 
He'd be out working in his garage, and so I'd go over to my neighbor's house and just talk, 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 talk. Well, he, he wasn't interested in that, and I thought, wow, I can't figure that out because I'm such a nice guy. Well, finally, he says to me one day, get out of my blankety-blanket garage and never come back. He threw me off his property. Wow. For the next 10 years, he never spoke. We'd be, we had, we, the boys were a little of that. We'd be driving by and we'd wave at him and he'd ignore us. We'd be outside and we'd speak. He'd never speak. I mean, this is bad. Maybe you've had neighbors like that. Maybe you've been a neighbor like that. And I remember I was out jogging once. Well, I jogged more than once, but once when I was out jogging, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I really didn't do anything wrong. All those who are godly in Christ Jesus will be personal. You know how you justify yourself. And it finally dawned on me, I'd never forgiven this guy. I've never forgiven this guy for his horrible attitude towards Judy and me and our three little boys. And I also sound crazy, so I go home, I get down on my knees and say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to forgive my neighbor. I'm going to forgive him for what he's done, the way he's treated us. And if there's been anything in my life that I was part of the problem, forgive me too. Guess what happens? Within a week, there's a knock on the door. We answer the door. There's my neighbor, and he's holding an armful of zucchinis. And this is what he says. I, just, I, 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 I grew a bunch of zucchinis and didn't, didn't know if you guys, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't sure. I mean, some people don't, but they're, they're zucchinis. We, we love zucchinis. Thank you. I take these zucchinis, which, by the way, I'm not sure if that was a kind thing to do or not, giving us all these zucchinis. I take these zucchinis and go in the kitchen, and I'm just, Judy goes, who was that? That's the neighbor. The neighbor. Uh, he gave us all these zucchinis. Huh. Well, certainly, Lord, there's no connection between my prayer of forgiveness and his illustration number two. Now, you can't tell anybody I told you this. One of our sons, who will be nameless, when he was a little boy, had a problem with bedwetting. I mean, we tried everything. And the problem was, we had close, our closest friends who lived three doors down. They had a daughter the same age, and I think she was born potty trained. Not our son. I mean... It wet the bed, wet the bed, wet the bed. I mean, even, we, we did everything we could think. We got one of those alarm systems. I mean, we, we restricted water intake for days on end. I mean, we, you know, what, what, you know, you put, I forget how this works, but you put them in scalding water or whatever, and then they did. Nothing, nothing would work. I mean, he was a midnight sailor from the word go.
And I remember when I was out jogging, the thought, I mean, it just, it just made me mad because, you know, when you start comparing out your kid's development with your friend's, you know how this one works. And so you know where I'm going with this thing. So I started to pray, not only for him, but for my wrongful attitude. Forgive me, Lord, for holding this little boy hostage because it's making me look bad as a dad. And Lord, I, even though he can't help it apparently, I forgive, I forgive him. Guess what? Within one week, he's dry. He now teaches sixth grade here in, at Mary Fieser School in Elkhart. And as far as I know, <laughs> and again, I'm doing one of those deals where, wait a minute. My prayer of forgiveness of our son, that's not connected to him being released, is it? The Bible says that if you release anything on earth, it will be released in heaven. And if you release anything in heaven, God works in such a way that release will happen where? You know where that verse is found? Right before this parable. Look it up. Where are we, Matthew 18? Is that where it is? Are we in Matthew 18? Yeah, look at the last verse of Matthew 17. Hold the fort. Oh, you don't think that this is found in the Bible? When Stephen was being stoned in the book of Acts, chapter 6, it said, and standing by, giving assent to what they were doing was a young man by the name of Saul, the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was standing holding their cloaks while they're stoning Stephen. Guess what? As Stephen is getting the rocks hitting him, Stephen prays what? Father, forgive them. Acts chapter 6 Fast forward three chapters, Acts chapter 9. Saul of Tarsus is on his way to Damascus. What happens? Knocked off his horse, blinding light comes to Christ. And my question for you is, certainly, the salvation of Saul is not connected back to the prayer of release of Stephen, is it? And suddenly, beloved, these parables take on a completely different look. Because when I refuse to forgive, it not only limits God's ability to work in my life, it limits his ability to work in that person's life. Some of you got issues going on right now with your kids. We do. Lord, help me to remember to pray prayers of release and forgiveness of myself and of that person. 
because I'm believing spiritually that if I release anything in heaven, it will, the vertical, I'm going to ask you to pray with me and to bow your head at this time. Lord Jesus says on the day of Pentecost, there's some this morning whose hearts have been cut to the quick. This makes us uncomfortable, Lord, because we, living in America, we want people to take responsibilities for their own problems and their own issues and their own sins. And we realize that part of it has to do with us. Forgive me, Lord, for being resentful and bitter and for not forgiving 70 times 7. Help me to keep letting it go again and again and again. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning because I know, Lord, that you're faithful because you've placed your finger on a relationship in their life where things are not right. And I ask, Lord, that you'll help each one of us to apoluo, to pray prayers of release. And beloved, very quietly, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as I'm praying. And I'm going to give you opportunity. Would you just stand right now? I'm going to give you opportunity to take a step toward health. Because some of you know that you're not doing well on this issue. And the beginning, the, the starting place is here. And you say, well, you know what, Pastor Joel, I can do that at home. Yeah, absolutely, you certainly can. But chances are you won't because God's speaking to you now. And so as I'm continuing to pray, I'm going to ask you to slip out right now and come forward and kneel up here, either at the front pews or up here, and say, Lord, help, help me to forgive. we got people walking forward right now. Lord, help me to forgive the stuff going on in your family. There's broken relationships. Lord, I don't want to roadblock what you're doing. I don't want to fall victim to being part of the problem. Lord, I'm going to do my part and trust you to do your part in bringing conviction to their heart. Do you have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, a prodigal husband? Does there need to be healing and restoration and relationships that are close to you? And so I'm just going to ask you just to step out. You're taking a step towards health this morning. And I know for some it's a struggle. It's hard to do this. The enemy is saying to you, nothing's going to change. Even if you go forward, nothing's going to change, and that's not true.
Father, these folks who have stepped out, it takes real courage, are representative of so many where there's hurt in families, where there's brokenness, where there's been betrayal, where situations and relationships have not changed. And Lord, we don't know what else to do. To whom else can we turn? For you alone have the words of eternal life. I'm asking, Lord, this morning that you would work not only in their hearts but in the hearts of their loved ones in an unmistakable way and that release will occur. For those, Lord, who are unable to walk in freedom or who feel trapped, I pray, Lord, that you would unshackle them and that you'd work in such a way that they would, in an unmistakable way, recognize it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of those they love. Lord, we can't change people. Only you can change people. And so I earnestly pray for each of those and for those who are standing that you would accomplish your purposes. We're going to trust you. We're going to believe your word. And we're going to walk out of here, Lord, refreshed because we've heard from God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to reach your hand out to me. I'd like to pronounce a blessing. And after I've pronounced a blessing over you, would you say back to me and also to you, may you discover the freedom of forgiveness and may the Holy Spirit give you the power and grace to release others in your life. Go in peace. Have a wonderful week.